The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. Shield Kapadia joined by Ben Solak. And it's the Thursday 10, but it's the it's the bye week edition, Benny Sol. So we have no game to preview, which feels like a nice uh it feels like a nice break not having to do that. But we'll still get to 10 questions. We'll break down the film from Eagles Cowboys. And then I asked for mailbag questions, Benny Souls. And I done this, you know, I do this for the scramble on Thursday. You know, you get you get a, a nice batch of questions, but the Eagles fans are hungry. 119 responses. You people are freaking sickos. Unbelievable. Look, look, look at look at the little social media brag there from Shield. Very casual. It's like, yeah, 119. No, the, you know, you retweeted it. Many are directed right at you. They literally say, Ben, I want to know. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll just sit here uh, in silence as Ben answers uh, those questions. So I picked out like a lot of them were repeats, but I picked out eight of them for today. And then I feel like next week we just get to a bunch more of them. And who knows if, if we keep getting questions like that uh i might might just have to pop on for 20 minutes and just answer a few questions every day we'll see i'm not i'm not promising that we're not promising that but anyway how are you doing ben looks great today he's got a video he's dressed nicely the hair is combed handsome fella the way you're saying this implies like i show up like a slob to all of our previous podcasts which is true i just don't like sharing the implication <laughs> no i you have a nice messy look like sometimes you make fun of your own hair and i go i wish i could wake up uh and have that hair so it's uh it's a nice luxury to have all right Shall we get started? It feels like uh, it feels like that Cowboys game was like three weeks ago to me. I don't know how you uh, it does feel yeah. about it, but uh, let's start with the offense. What uh, what stood out to you with the film on the Eagles' offense against that Cowboys' defense? Man, it's just, it just it looks so easy. I keep like I'm 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 struggling with my own personal like. I was like, they need a test. They're going to play the Jaguars. The Jaguars are going to test them. And then they handled the Jaguars pretty cleanly, at least on the offensive side of the ball, right? Defensively, I think there were questions and the weather kind of affected that. 
okay, they, the offense looked great. Like, it looked easy. It's fine. And the guy, the Cardinals, you know, okay, got a little bit dicey there at the end, but they were generally in control of that game. Cowboys, you know, four and one or five and one. Yeah, like this will be a, a close game. It'll be, you know, but, you know, highly contested and this will be a good test for them. And then it just looks so easy for the offense that I, I, I at times, I so badly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think generally it did. I, I would okay. say, yeah, I mean, I think there's a drive here or there where the Cowboys got like a negative play and then, you know, you're kind of on a bad game script. But that's going to be the case for every offense. There was there was no real point in the game, in my opinion, where it felt like the Eagles offense was stuck in the mud. Do you disagree? Uh, no, I think that's probably I, I, you get these spam calls. See, uh, I, I, my thing just my phone just rang three times in a row calls that I have no interest in answering and I get them all day. Do you get those? Is there like a, a Gen Z thing yeah. to get off of these uh, lists that I don't know about because I'm old? Not, not, not that I, I would love to know okay. if there is. I feel like that's just that's just being an adult. It's just people calling you and <laughs> asking you things that you didn't even know you could be asked about. I, yeah, I, I don't answer those calls. No, I agree with you generally. You know, I was trying to look at when they had that lull, um, you know, in the sort of second half of that game. And really they didn't have a lot of possessions in the second half. What did they have? I think they had four, yeah. four possessions and they scored, they had the great drive on one of them. So they scored on one of four and on one of the other ones, uh, really big play in the second half. They had uh they had a third down where AJ Brown ran past Trayvon Diggs, who was kind of squatting, thinking, all right, he's going to run to the sticks, ran right past him. It was the play. I think we talked about it in the post game. And I think it was actually Landon Dickerson who screwed up the the protection there, not uh, Kenny mm-hmm. Gainwell. And so Jalen Hurts takes a sack. Man, if they get him like half a second there, then that really has a chance to be Balls out. a 52-yard touchdown. So it's funny when you look at little plays like that. Like there was a, there's a question later asking about, you know, the Eagles beating the Blitz. Actually, I can't remember if I'm using that for uh, this episode or the next one. But, you know, we talked about it after the Cardinals game. Hey, not just these screens. Beat them downfield. Like that's an example where, shoot, it was there. I mean, that's a 52 yard touchdown where you burn them because they're sending a big blitz and you can't protect for that extra half second so it's kind of that theme we always talk about where it's all tied together the coverage is tied to the pass rush the routes are tied to the protection and if one of those things doesn't work then the other can't work and I thought that was a good example of it yeah and they got that play dialed up as well and kind of you know we were asking a little bit when they played the Cardinals, like, hey, where's A.J. Brown? Where's A.J. Brown? And you were getting such a soft cover zone look from the Cardinals all game. And the Cowboys, very surprisingly, just decided to play man coverage the whole game, right? Which, like, I said in the, I said in the pregame, pregame kind of preview show, I was like, yeah, like, this this is the sort of defense that feels confident in playing man. Because, like, Trevon Diggs and Jordan Lewis, they like their guys. But they've been playing more zone this year. They've been rotating stuff. And they really just lined up and played against the Eagles. And that was just not a good decision it was not a good decision coming into quarter one and then it wasn't a good decision coming out of halftime and just kind of persisting because you had like big big shot plays left on the bone kind of the plays that they hit against washington that they really haven't hit too much since the downfield shot stuff those have been there for them against man coverage they just haven't really been able to connect but that's that's the volatility of it when you live on big plays you're going to have some lulls and some swells but yeah that that was a big one i yeah i do need a um a uh, apology to Kenny. I blamed him for another pass protection mess up. That one was probably on Dickerson. It's always like it's on one, but it's on three. It's always on your quarterback plus the line plus the back. And the thing with the back specifically is like, even if the line is wrong, you have to have eyes and you have to be like, okay, that guy right now is running free. Like I, I, I need to just go dive at him and hit him. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the coaching point for Kenny there. But I think the main issue I agree with you is on landing on that play. Um, but yeah, they had, the, they had multiple third down sacks in the, uh, 
in the second half, which was not dissimilar to the Arizona film. It wasn't dissimilar looks either. They're putting a bunch of guys in line of scrimmage. It's one of the main things they have to get figured out over the bye week. But that ends up, you know, creating two shorter drives and two punts when then they get the ball when it's a three point game and they just go, all right, we're just not going to get into a third and pass situation. And then they don't. Right. And, and they, they can be that way if they need to be, which is really, really great. Um, so I didn't feel like the offense ever got stuck in the mud. Um, Less RPO, RPO, more play action, right? Talked about maybe there's going to be more read option. They kind of really did it in not so much in the read option game, but in the play action game of leaving a guy unblocked and then and then making him wrong. So again, it's it's meant to seem like there's a decision during the snap, during the play, but it's not really. It's kind of like always decided that, that Hurts is going to keep it or going to give it or whatever, but it works because it still makes makes players hesitate. And so the formula is really, really, really tough to argue with through seaweed. Through six weeks. That's my number one takeaway from the offense is like every time I expect them to stumble, they have an answer pretty quickly. And it's really simple stuff, but it, it hasn't got beat yet. So I'm still so interested to see what happens when they have a really bad game, when they just get beat, yeah. when just somebody dials in on tendencies and they know what they want to get and they get their stops. I'm so curious to see what happens when this team has to play from behind and pass to win and everything. I can't wait to see it. But for right now, it's like, yeah, I don't know when that'll happen the Saints, Tennessee, sometimes I'm point sure, but right right now I have no idea when. Yeah, the simplicity really stood out in this game. I mean, they ran Mm -hmm. the same, uh, you know, RPO concept three times in a row. One, they get Brown on the fourth and three for 11 yards. Then they come back to it on third and three for a 15-yard touchdown and goes to what you're saying about the Cowboys playing man coverage. He kind of runs in motion, comes across the formation, and Trayvon Diggs gets completely stuck on that fourth down. And then the last one, the Devontae Smith touchdown, that's different players. Goddard instead of AJ Brown. But again, it's the exact same concept. And so I do like that when something's working, hey, go back to it over and over again until the defense shows that they can stop it. And I like that they do that. They don't overthink things um, for that. Hurts as a runner, I mean, we talk about it every week, but I thought really in this game, there were some high leverage moments, a couple third downs where they're running zone read and that edge defender it's so subtle. It's not like they're going all the way after Hertz, but they're pausing for, it might be half a second. It might be less than half a second. And that opens up a little sliver for Miles Sanders and Gainwell, who I thought they both ran the ball really well in this yeah. game, like better than the numbers shown. I don't think I've ever described the words nifty to describe Miles Sanders. I don't, he's not that kind of runner. In this game, he had some nifty runs where his foot. You don't think Sanders a nifty runner? Think I think he's nifty. nifty. No, I would say, I don't know how I would describe him. Sanders is more explosive. He's kind of more see, like yeah. like run to daylight sort of. I agree. Like he's not like your prototypical nifty runner. I like Darren Sproles. Certainly like not there, right. but he has his nifty moments. I yeah, thought it was yeah, nifty yeah. in this game. I thought Gamewell was nifty. I mean, the old getting skinny. I mean, some of those plays, it's not like a wide opening and they get there and pick up the mm-hmm. first down. So I, I was impressed with that. I was impressed with the variety of the run game. You know, that, that last drive that they had in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, I yes, think we saw inside so, yes. zone. I think we saw outside zone toss under center, I believe, on that mm-hmm. drive. We saw 11, 12, 13 personnel. We saw that GT counter play uh, with, with, with the two that guys That GT pulling. counter thing is nasty, yeah. man. I like I, that. That's such a cheat code run when you have a running quarterback. Yes. No, but no, you cannot pull a guard and a tackle unless you have a quarterback and pull the ball. Like teams that don't have Lamar Kyler, Hurts, Josh Allen, maybe Daniel Jones, don't get to run that play. Which means that defenses don't see it except for like two weeks of a season, which makes it so, so, so tough. When they both, that GT counter that she was talking about, where they pull both the guard and the tackle from the same side and like everything looks really folded up and congested. And then all of a sudden it's just a straight <laughs> path into the second level. That's a mean one. They love yeah. that play.
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Fran Duffy had some good clips of of that one if you want to see it in action. But uh, yeah, I think those were my main takeaways from that. I mean, they just, the, the offense is about stealing easy yards. You know, you watch some of these other offenses in the NFL and stuff seems so hard for them and they're going through all the, and this is just like, okay, we're going to run a, you know, there was like a curl flat RPO to Devontae Smith. Eight yards, easy, like mm-hmm. no one near him. And they're just, they're using those plays over and over again. You're right. I'm with you. We'll see. Like right now, yeah, I'm, the Cowboys defense is legit. Like they definitely had moments in this game where they won up front specifically, I thought against the Eagles guards and, uh, and blew up some plays for sure. But overall, you haven't seen a defense really come out and completely stop them yet. All right. Defense. What did you see? What what stood out, if anything, from the film on defense other than Cooper Rush? Uh, there's not going to be a quarterback controversy there. I thought uh, he really he really you struggled. Sure? In you this, positive? In, I think it's close. With some, with some uh, no. layup throws, especially he he was missing too. But what else did you see? Yeah, so I think that um, uh, right your 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 headline from the the game is Rush played poorly. Like Rush threw three picks. One of them is like a quality play defensively tip drill wise, right? And which like isn't even a pick in and of itself. It's just a pass breakup from Bradley or Bradbury, excuse me. The other two are probably like, that's just on rush. Like Slay undercuts that route on the second one, but that ball should just never, never, never be thrown like that. That's thrown into the teeth of it. And then obviously the third one is just, you get the Brandon Graham rushing. He does have the arm strength to get that ball home. Uh, so great three turnover day. The Eagles right now have 14 takeaways on defense, two giveaways on offense plus 12 turnover ratio. If you are looking for the area in which, like, when the Eagles drop a stupid game in week 13, what's the culprit? It's going to be that. Because they just have not had to deal with short fields defensively and and and, and kind of reconciling. I know the one one turnover was the Jags pick six. What's the other one? They have, like, a, I, the I other, think they had, like, a fumble. I'm terrible at this. I have no idea. Yeah. Was there one in? I uh, feel like they had a fumble somewhere, like, in the one, red zone. maybe? Like, was there something? Yeah. I don't know. I just, I... I <laughs> I don't think the defense has ever been put on a short field yet. Like it just has like it just hasn't happened. So like that's that's where you're gonna start to get some of this this regression. But a three turnover day and they had the three interception day against Kirk, like when they face these pocket quarterbacks who can't move around super well and aren't that great under pressure, they've had success dialing them up and then they've had success taking the ball away, which is a huge, huge, huge coaching point from the Gannon tree, right? It's like if you have the opportunity to take the football away, we have to get it. We need our explosives through this this route because we don't really blitz too much and whatever. Um so that that's your number one thing. Your main headline is like, all right, just bad Cooper Rush game. You're not going to get to play a backup every single week. Your lower headlines, though, are really, really good Bradbury game again. Bradbury looks so awesome. Bradbury looks exactly like the athlete he was in Carolina. He looks like the guy who was the first year with the Giants. Corner play is very volatile. I know we have a Bradbury question coming later, so it's tough to hang too much on it. But Bradbury looked like the best player on the Eagles defense against the Cowboys. Very, very exciting stuff. Um, the other thing is to the point of the defensive trends that we were talking about in the postgame show. Uh, when Jordan Davis is in the huddle, the Eagles are going to be a bare front team. And accordingly, you're going to, you know, you're going to run the football. Uh, if the, if Jordan Davis is not in the huddle, the Eagles are a four down team and you can, you feel like you can run the football on that front, right? That's the front you want to run the ball yeah. against. They actually did vary things up, which I missed live, but they had a couple of snaps where they would put Fletch, Hargrave, Sweat, and Reddick in the huddle, and then they'd walk out in bear, and they'd put Hargrave at the nose, and they'd walk Kaiser White up onto the line of scrimmage as the fifth guy in the bear front, which is that wrinkle is an important wrinkle to understanding why N'Kobe Dean isn't on the field, because we get that question a lot. 
Nakobe can't walk up onto the line. He's not big enough the way that Kaiser does. And, and Kaiser's like good at playing through through toughness, good at taking on tight ends. It's just not Nakobe's game. So they need Kaiser to be on the field to have the potential to bring him up. They have to use this front more to really justify it, but that's kind of why you see Kaiser getting these reps and Nakobe's just backing up TJ Edwards. Because Edwards is on the field for those snaps. He's, he's, he's behind the line, he's off the line of scrimmage. But that's basically your Nakobe story. Running that front is good. It's good that they have that variance and that they're kind of throw those pitches. Watching it back, I certainly feel like the tendency with Jordan Davis is still there and matters and helps opposing offenses. However, they also just lost some reps. Like the Cowboys just came out. They have a good line. They ran the ball well. Zeke was running really well yeah, in that second half. Yeah, he played half. well. It's like, yeah, I, com- coming out of that game on the postgame show, I was talking a lot about coaching. Having watched the film back, there's a lot more in terms of execution, right? And just, you know, Hargrave and Fletch continue to be like really high risk, high reward penetration players. When they get doubled, they get moved off the ball pretty quickly. The Eagles linebackers are not good at playing slow to flow, right? Like when when uh, you're in this penetration front, you can just get a field and go, right? Just go shoot a gap and hit it. And Edwards and, and, and White are good there. When it's slower stuff and like a guy gets doubled off, and you have to try to play two gaps and game a game running back. They're not as strong there. Kaiser doesn't really like to play with patience. That's tough for him, which is like fair because it's it's not his his play style at all. So I think there were execution issues more so than than uh, trend and scheme issues in that second half running success that the Cowboys found. I do feel like you know, and I think you you were you've been mentioning this for a while, but man, if I'm an offense and I see Jordan Davis on the field and that you know five man front. I'm just using play. I mean, play action. They, those two drives that the Cowboys had in the second half, that's what it really felt like to me, where they're using play action against that five-man front. You kind of get them in more predictable coverages there. The pass rush is not going to be great. I mean, they had like a, you know, they they have some reps out there with Jordan Davis and Marlon Tui Pelotu and Milton Williams and Patrick Johnson. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you're going to have time back there uh, against that front. And I thought they got him there with, with that play action there a uh, number of times during those two drives. And then the other point you've been hammering home is with the four-man front, you can run the football specifically, I thought. I haven't looked at the numbers on this, and they're probably noisy anyway. But man, their backups, their their backup defensive line in that four-man front is not playing well. You know, with Milton Williams yeah. and Marlon Tui Pelotu in there, those guys are getting pushed around quite a bit. And you're right, it's not just them. You know, Fletcher Cox certainly got pushed around a little bit on some key reps in this game. But like, I'm looking at those things thinking, all right, you know, mm-hmm. if teams get a chance to scout this a little bit more uh, and you're that predictable uh, with some of that stuff, then there are ways to certainly beat it. I, I thought there were two, uh, well, really that that Graham pressure, we saw it live and knew it was a big play w- with the interception there, but man, you know, CeeDee Lamb is past James Bradbury there. That's seven. Yeah, Bradbury falls down. That's probably a, what, 52, 60 yard touchdown, I forget, where they were on the field. Gardner yeah. Johnson's playing Bradbury had an incredible game yeah. and he had two reps yes. where he tripped over his own feet that could have been touched <laughs> yeah. Which is awesome, awesome day for a corner. <laughs> yeah. Every time I'm upright, I'm making plays. Every time I fell over, somebody else is making a play. Great day for a corner. He had like the all 22 game. You know, if it was like 2008 yeah. and we didn't have any film and you only watched the TV copy, you would say awesome. And don't get me wrong, he was fantastic on most reps. But yeah, there were a couple in there. Another one, Hargrave bats the pass down uh, in the red zone where Badbury gets turned around by Lamb on a slant. That one could have been a, uh, a touchdown too. So those were just a couple plays that uh that stood out there all right i think those are all my notes for i even feel like you're given uh y- even that first interception i you can you can put on rush a little i mean bradbury got the pbu but i thought that was still a bad throw uh behind yeah him there. it's 
It was another defender. Right, you have to, yeah, you have to like you have to trust that throw and throw it before the break. And then you have to, and so like in doing so, A, it's probably gonna be a little bit inaccurate because you're not gonna be perfect on where the receiver's gonna break. And then secondly, you don't know how clean the corner's gonna come out of his break. And Bradbury's out of there like a bullet, right? And like that's the thing, is like that for a lot of other corners that Rush has faced, that ball gets there just in time, yada yada, whatever. Right. Uh in this instance, it's um uh it's Bradbury just out of there right now to the catch point, which is a good play. One note on the Jordan Davis pass thing. So I went and I looked, I looked at it because it's an important thing to I think calibrate to uh jordan davis is always playing from the nose he's always playing from zero tech when you go and you look at players who have generated pressures from a zero tech from a nose tackle position so far this season dexter lawrence leads the league with 14 he's pressures. having a great year the next closest is quinn and williams with five mm. now quinn has only taken 14 total snaps at nose and he has five pressures which is just like bananas mm. But generating pressure from an initial nose tackle alignment is really, really tough. Also, you know, I, I can't get True Media to tell me this, but I'm imagining a lot of these pressures, especially like Quinton has five pressures on 14 snaps. Cameron Hayward has four pressures on 14 snaps. A lot of them are going to be on stunts, twists, and games. The only reason you're putting your star defensive tackle over the nose is to screw with somebody, right? Like we're going to mess around with, with our luck. Davis doesn't get stunts, and he... Uh, is not a pass rusher of the caliber of Quinn and Williams and Cam Hayward. He also has four pressures on the year. He's tied for fourth. Hmm. He's done it on 112 snaps from the nose. And you have to remember, he's playing run defense first. He's not playing like attack footwork. He's not playing like downhill and go. He's playing be slow, gain control of the center's chest, peak, see if there's a run play. So it feels like their pressure is underperforming when he's in the field until you realize that like nobody who plays nose generates a high number of pressures that's not named Dexter Lawrence. And when they do, it's typically on like a third down look and on like a, a sneaky rush look. It's not going to be on the early down stuff Davis is doing. So I, I, you should pass against that front because it's easier to throw against than the other front. And the Eagles are limited in what they can do coverage-wise behind it. I don't think the pass rush is underperforming from the interior on those fronts. Right. I think the outside rush has to be better or the blitz packages have to be better because you just can't ask a guy of Davis's size to play run first and then win a rush from over the center. Guys just in the league, just nobody in the league does that. Right. Yes. It's a good point. It's more the mm -hmm. structure and what the defense is trying to do in those situations than the individual yep. performances. I, uh, I, uh, absolutely would agree with that. All right, let's take a little break. Here. Oh, but, oh no, I wanted to get to what on the turnover. I thought your turnover point was a great one real quick. I wanted to get to because Eagles right now, our defense is second in EPA per drive. Uh, they're 16th in success rate, which for, I know I've explained it before, but success rate is just, is this a positive play EPA wise for the defense or a negative play? And so a pick six counts the same as a stop on third and nine. They're both just, all right, successful. So when you get a small sample and really everything in football is a small sample, but specifically this time of year, it's a good thing to look at. And so uh, they're they're mediocre if you just look like look at percentage of plays that are positive for the defense, but they're they're hitting on those high leverage plays, those turnovers, and and like Ben said, those are I mean those might come for a while because a lot of that's are you playing crappy quarterbacks and then they're playing some crappy quarterbacks, but not something right. you know you could typically count on against really good offenses. And by the way, I think Hurts we probably don't discuss it enough deserves a lot of credit for the way he's taken care of the yes. ball. I mean he's got the ball yes. on every play. His ball handling on these RPOs, his designed runs, his option runs. He has 76 scrambles since the start of last season and has not fumbled 
on one of those. I mean, think about the other teams you watch on a on a random Sunday, and a lot of times you're watching the quarterback run going, uh-oh, 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 uh, and that doesn't happen with him. And so um, that's kind of probably an underrated aspect of how he's playing right now. All right. No, very much so. One of the main things I appreciate about Hurts is that he doesn't lose the ball in the pocket. Yeah. Because they were like that's what all Wentz did was just couldn't protect the ball in the pocket. Couldn't protect the ball. And a lot of scrambling quarterbacks, one hand on the ball, don't protect the ball in the pocket. Never with Hurts. Two hands. Always has a, a some an idea of where that, that, that rush is coming from. Very important. Yeah, it goes to the decisiveness. We talked early in the season. Like, all right, are there times he leaves early? Yes. But when he leaves early, he's not turning the ball over. A lot of times he's gaining positive yards and like you know, so you can probably live with that balance rather than a guy who hangs in there, doesn't have a feel, and then turns the ball over. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll get to some of your mailbag questions. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. It's still the Thursday 10. I have I didn't do the numbers for the first two, but uh, number three, Yoshki Zoidberg, friend of the pod, asks, okay, when they mm-hmm. come out against Pittsburgh in two weeks, what is the one thing you'd like to see a fundamental change on? Could be play calling, roster construction, starting lineup, scheme, whatever. What do you got? Uh, I think that... There's a few different answers here. There was one I thought of when I was talking about the offense. It was really good. Now I can't remember. Blitz? It. Something with I, the blitz? Dude, no? No, it was okay. when we were talking about their offense. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. I should remember that for the other thing. And now I can't remember what it was. Oh, uh, protection against uh, mugged up looks. I think that's, that's that, that to me is the easiest fix offensively, probably across the board on, bo- on both sides of the ball. That is also really important. You saw the Cardinals do this, and then you saw the Cowboys copycat it where they said, okay, this team wants to be spread. Let's put seven dudes on the line. They're only going to keep six in the block, and let's see if we can get a free rusher without committing everybody. And they found success doing it because the Eagles have had troubles on their protection calls, and they've had linemen in and out of the, the roster, and they don't really have a very good pass blocking back. Right? Like they're, Gainwell's their third down back, and he puts forth effort, but size-wise and recognition-wise, he's not what you want in, in that role. So I think that if they come out against the Steelers, who are a team that is willing to do creative stuff at the front, willing to blitz you, kind of willing to show a ton of different looks and very good at like building bespoke game plans. Uh, Mike Tomlin's staffs have always been really good at coming out on one week prep and having something for you that you didn't expect. Uh, that's something that, that I think the Steelers could present and could lead to a high turnover game and a disappointing offensive performance. So kind of this thing that we're anticipating might happen at some point. So uh, when you defense has put a whole blitz look on the line, Eagles got to get better at picking that up. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, the, the blitz is a big one. I mean, statistically, Hertz is 23rd in EPA per pass play against the blitz, fourth when facing four or fewer. So that is a, you know, that's pretty much as big a discrepancy as you'll find uh, around the NFL. So I think they need more answers. Like I said, there's a play, you know, last week where if he just gets that, it's not all on him. If he gets that extra half a second, that ball's going to AJ Brown uh, for a big touchdown. And we're saying, wow, they found an answer there. So that's something to keep in mind. Those are high leverage plays, but I do think they need to continue to work on having answers there. And then I think just the stuff we already talked about, the predictability with the defensive fronts, like should Jordan Davis just be on the field more? Should he be playing in, in mm-hmm. the four down fronts where he's not always playing the nose? Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned that that's something somebody asked again. And I think it was McLean was like, Hey, like, you know, Davis five down fronts or four down fronts. And Gannon was like, yeah, I'm comfortable playing Davis in all fronts. No, you aren't. Yeah. You haven't done it. Right. <laughs> like, don't do it then. Like it just, I've, that sort of stuff drives me nuts. Yeah. Like, there's so much stuff that like you can just give an honest answer while also hiding your cards to your chest. You don't have to just like blatantly lie. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't played yeah. him in any front besides Bear. Come on. That's why I love coaches in season as opposed to coaches off season because coaches off season can lie and you don't really have a lot of you don't have anything to look at to say are they lying. Once you get to the season, like you, they're showing their cards every week, and so yep. it's not true because if you were comfortable, he would be playing more. And like I said, your backup defensive tackles are not playing well, and so it's not like oh well we're stacked, we don't need to do it. No, they're not playing well. They're getting pushed around a little bit, and so you absolutely could use him more there. All right, number four. Samuk, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, says, love the show. Why do you guys, who do you guys think is in line for the annual Howie Roseman midseason contract extension? He says, my guess is James Bradbury. Let me give you all the free agents because there are a lot of them. Not all of them. I I picked out the key ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fletcher Cox, he of course signed the one-year deal uh, last offseason. Javon Hargrave, last year of his deal. James Bradbury signed a one-year deal. Isaac Sayamalu, on the last year of his deal, Kaiser White signed a one-year deal. TJ Edwards, Miles Sanders, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and Marcus Epps. Any of those names stand out to you? Do you want me to go uh, first here with the free agent pending free agents question? I'd guess it's TJ, right? Really? Like, okay. Cat. Yeah, he's played well this year. Definitely played better than I expected. Looks more athletic for sure. Uh, captain of your defense kind of runs this. Uh, there's no like i think you're gonna get him at a low figure too i don't think that's gonna affect your cap big time like if they like try to resign like hargrave like it's gonna be big money you know what i'm saying like that's 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 gonna eat up cap for you even say Amalu, like i don't know like i just don't think with the amount that you've invested on the offensive line you feel like you have to get that done before market right. you know what i'm saying whereas with with tj you've kind of had like you know jordan hicks left Alex Singleton left. Like they just kind of like do a year or do a contract with a linebacker and then they go. And I don't think they want to be in that spot over the next couple of years. Cause if they ride it with Hertz 2022 and 2023, when he's still cheap, you don't want to be bringing in a, a new linebacker and not knowing what you're going to get from that guy. Right. You want to be like building to contend. So TJ's the one to make sense to me. Brad Bray's just tricky because there's no reason, not no reason because he's playing so well, but he was available in like what, like June, he was, he, yeah, the he, Giants they, they, cut him late, so he kind of he got yeah, screwed they, a little bit. Teams had already made moves, uh, and so if he were a free agent in March, he would have definitely got a different deal than the one he he right. eventually got. So yeah, so he's twenty nine. You got him late, like I, I like. I don't think he's playing really well, but I feel like you can talk yourself into the idea of a veteran corner two who has a good chance to give you quality play 
being on the market pretty consistently. And like I said, corner plays volatile. So it's hard to say with confidence, like Bradbury's always going to be this. We have to remember like last season, two years ago, Bradbury looked like this last season. Bradbury did not look like right. this. And that's the scary thing about committing long-term to corners. Yeah. Bradbury is the one that we got a lot of questions on. So he's 30 at the start of next season. Uh, and so you would be going into the season with two corners over 30 years old, which I don't know that you want to do that. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, Stefan Gilmore this past off season, got a two year, $20 million deal from the Colts. He's obviously a more accomplished player than Bradbury is at the same time. He's a couple of years older and he was banged up there. So it's a, it's a tricky one. I honestly don't know what the number would be. I mean, typically corners who are 30 years old and older, uh, 30 years and older don't get big contracts. I mean that $10 million. Yeah. You're getting max two years, yeah. two, maybe three, but I'd be surprised. Yeah. So uh, I don't know that he costs a lot. So if you were like, Hey, let's let, you know what, you've done a great job for us. Let's tack on a year. I wouldn't say that's the worst at this. You got to get younger at corner. I mean, that has to be a priority in yeah. the off season. So that's how I felt about Bradbury. I thought Kaiser white was an interesting one. You know, he got just got to test free agency. And so sometimes if you're a player and you haven't got to test free agency, you say, I want to go do that, which I would want to do that too. Mm -hmm. He just got to do that and he settled for a one year, $3 million deal. Uh, so now he could look at it and say, well, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing well. I'm only 26. I'll get a much better deal this time. Or he might say, you know what? The market wasn't what I thought it was last off season. Uh, give me a little bit of a raise. I don't know what it would be. Six, 7 million. Um, and I can be a part of your defense here for the next two or three years. So I think that's an interesting one. Yeah. And then the last one is Marcus Epps. Uh, you know, if you, if you just like, Hey, this is a feel good, you know, homegrown guy has shown he can be a competent starter for us. Let's reward him with an extension. I was looking at safety deals. Jordan Whitehead last year, uh, got two years, 14 and a half million from the jets. That's Pro, I, I would think that would be the neighborhood for kind of a starting caliber safety who's yeah. not lighting the world on fire, but who you can kind of rely on um, for Marcus Epps. Yeah. So that would be the that figure. Range. Yeah, that figure for Epps is fine. Yeah, I won't. I, if you go much higher over that, that worries me, especially because, like, before, like right after the Chauncey trade, I would have told you that Epps is going to spend the majority of the time deep middle. And Chauncey's going to spend the majority of the time box slot. And it's still been majority, but it's not been as hard of a skew as I thought. And so the more comfortable you feel with Chauncey playing deep, the less Epps's, you know, background as being the deep safety matters and is valuable to you. And the more you start looking at Epps's box reps, which are just not, not great reps right now. But also Chauncey's box reps aren't that good right now. So it's yeah. not even like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit... A little bit of a moot point in that regard. You're just going to play quarters and, and, and rotate them anyway. And you're just going to kind of live with the small guy in the box. So I wouldn't mind that figure for Epps. Kaiser would surprise me. I just don't think Kaiser's role in this defense is valuable enough that you would put him at that that big of a, of, of a figure. To me, like, you know, you get yourself like a solid 230-pound athlete who'll stick his nose in the fan at the defensive side of the ball, like that, there's, there's a lot of they those always guys try to do that, and they okay always stink. He's been the best, uh, best yeah. of the group, and he might not be that expensive. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, the price would would obviously uh, have to be right, but uh, I'm with you there. Gardner Johnson, that's a tricky one. I mean, 
he's he's been okay. He has not like we we joked about it after right. the game. The interception numbers are there. He has not been like a lights out player for them, and part of it's understandable because he joined the team so late. He's playing a new position, but we know he wanted money in New Orleans. That was like at the core of what that squabble was about. Yeah. And the top of the safety market. I mean, now you're talking about like a Marcus Williams. Uh, I think he got like 14 million a year. Some guys have gotten up to 17 million. That's a that, that that's a pricey extension that Gardner Johnson. Is looking for. If I'm the Eagles, I'm there's no way I'm comfortable doing that uh, yeah. right now. I'm saying I'm just going to chill and let's see how the rest of the season goes. And you know, we'll take care of you if we feel like we need to. Remember the the brilliance of that deal, in my opinion, was that it was such low risk. Like if they had to give up a exactly. second or a third or something for Gardner Johnson, then right. you kind of might feel that pressure. They didn't give up, and like what they gave up. If you're just getting a season of him and he walks and you get a comp pick, that's not like a a bad outcome for that trade. That's a good outcome. Absolutely. It's a huge outcome. Yeah. That's the single best thing about it is that, okay, if you want to let Chauncey walk, you're going to get a better pick back off the deal that he signs than you traded for him, which means you are free to not extend him midseason, which is huge because yeah. you're not going to get Laramie Tunseled, where it's like, oh, we traded for this guy yeah. on a contract year. Now we have to Orlando pay him whatever Brown he wants now. so we yeah. don't look like idiots. Yeah. All right. Question number five. BP asks a lot of questions about this guy. Are the Eagles realistic players for Christian McCaffrey? And if so, what would you be willing to part with to get him? Does that match up with what the Panthers would be asking for? No. I don't know where you fall on this, but A, I don't think Howie Rosen's play, trading a premium pick for a running back. When they took Miles Sanders at 53 overall, I was stunned. I remain stunned that they took Miles Sanders at 53 overall. Uh it is especially true because you have to trade for him on contract, right? So you're not getting a rookie deal. And certainly he's going to be cheap at first, but then he's not going to be cheap. Uh, and so you have to deal with paying a running back money, which if there's something Howie Roseman is less likely to do than trade a first round pick for a running back, it's then pay that running back money. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's going to happen. Also, so much of the value from McCaffrey is conditional on his receiving ability. And the Eagles are never going to be a heavy receiving target team for as long as Jalen Hurts is the quarterback. When you have a scrambling quarterback, your running back targets go down yeah. because the quarterback doesn't check down as much. He is his own check down. The legs are the check down. You can scheme up targets for the back. This is what Arizona does because Arizona likes to throw the back, certainly when they had Chase Edmonds there. But you very rarely see the check down, you know, kind of within the structure used by a scrambling quarterback. So if you start to diminish the receiving value that Christian McCaffrey brings he hasn't been a, an amazing runner. Like his best season is 4.8 yards per carry on 287 rushes for 1400 yards. It's a good season. He's only been a, over a thousand yard rusher twice. He's only, like, you know, it, it, McCaffrey's a good runner. He's not a, an elite runner. He's not a Nick Chubby. He's not a Jonathan Taylor. Not even close. What is important about him is his receiving ability. And that would be inherently diminished by the play style of the quarterback in Philadelphia. So like, yeah, if the Panthers were like, Hey, does anyone want to send a four for McCaffrey or three for McCaffrey? Sure. Yeah. But no, the price tag that I think the Eagles would put on him and that I would put on him is nowhere close to what the Panthers are going to ask for and probably get for him on a team that would use him more correctly. So I don't see McCaffrey in the cards of the Eagles at all. I see the intrigue. Uh, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, good points. You know, it goes back to the uh, armpit test. I always talk about, man, if you're a defensive coordinator now on a Tuesday and it's McCaffrey, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, uh, Dallas Goddard, 
Jalen Hurts. Like you're, you're causing some perspiration. They're gonna need a little, uh, little Dove uh, women's nutrient-rich deodorant to get through uh, that week. I'm available for sponsorship opportunities, by the way. Uh, so I get the intrigue there. I hear what you're saying about him as a runner. We've seen this scheme is so running back friendly, man. You, you know some of these holes that you're gonna get on this offense with this offensive line, with mm-hmm. this scheme, with this quarterback. If he's turning some of those eight and tens into 25 and 30s, that's pretty uh, pretty exciting. He's got 670 yards from scrimmage right now, which is fourth league-wide in an absolute garbanzo beans offense. He's 26 years old. You're not committing, and there, there's no guaranteed money on his contract, so he's cheap for the rest of this year. And then you're right. You have him signed through 2025 uh, at about $12 million a year, which is not the top, top of the uh, running back market. It's about a top, top eight, top 10 uh, running back guys like Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb what would it take that's the that that's the question that's what we're going to find out I've got a, a little little uh, plug for myself for later today doing the scramble with yeah, Dan, yeah, yeah. Danny Kelly on the Ringer NFL feed and I've got five fake trades for him and Christian McCaffrey is one of them I know there was the report. What was it? Two first round picks. Uh, that's a get the get get the, yeah. that, that, if that happens. Um, what do you want me to? Do? I will. I'll use a. I'll use a right guard. Uh, no, I'll use a deodorant of the listener's choice uh, for an entire month if they get a uh, any deodorant. You can you can tell me the <laughs> high stakes. Yeah, you can tell me the. That's how confident I am. You can tell me the worst smelling deodorant. I'll run down to CVS, grab it, or order it online. I have to wear that for a month. I think he's going to get a second and if he gets traded a second and another pick, maybe like a third that can turn into a second, something like that. A second and a third, two seconds, something like that uh, for Christian McCaffrey. And at the end of the day, I'm with you. I I would think about it. I would have a meeting about it. There would be someone on my staff that's selling me, showing me the film and going, this could be exciting. At the end of the day, I don't think I want to do that because I don't want to pay $12 million for a running back next year. By the way, uh, what did he play in? Seven games? The pre- he played a total of 10 games in 2020 and 2021. So this isn't like the most yeah. uh, durable guy, even though he's only 26 years old. So for that compensation, I am a no on McCaffrey. Now, there's always a price, especially since he's so cheap this year. If you told me, hey, it's a day three pick, then I'm going, yeah, absolutely. We'll rent him, you know, we'll rent him for eight games in a playoff run. And then after that, who cares? We can just release him next year if we want to. But that's where I fall on Christian McCaffrey. All right. Yeah, just uh, anybody getting hype for Christian McCaffrey, just mentally prepare yourselves for a six-round pick for Cam Akers. Just get there. Just be ready for that. Don't let that take you by surprise. Well, I've, got, that, I've got another yeah. name. Uh, he, let me. Oh, it's, it's the next question. Okay, good. Six. Corey asks, do you see them making any trades before the deadline? If so, who and what positions? Uh, I've got a name I think that is kind of intriguing. How about a, how about, Melvin? What about a David Montgomery? They've got Khalil Herbert. He's in the final year of his contract. It's not like he's a full-time back there. Mm. Okay, he's got three. You know, he's not going to cost a lot. I sketched it out. I think a fifth-round pick maybe gets it done. I mean, this is a rental for half a year, and it's a running back. I I don't think he's going to cost a lot. Uh, 359 yards from scrimmage. Rushed for 246, mm-hmm. uh, 10 catches for 113. I believe good in, in pass pro. I believe David Montgomery is like a reliable guy. Better than what they've got for yeah, sure. Yeah, you can play uh, on three downs there. Um, not Some of the numbers are not very good, but you have to take that Bears offense into account. He's still 13th among 39 backs in yards after contact per rush. 
so he's not, listen, he's not going to totally light it up. He's averaging 3.9 yards per carry for his career, uh, but he's reliable. You add him to the backs that you already have. Uh, you know, you, you get some insurance. If Miles Sanders goes down or something, now you've got a guy who can really uh, carry the load. I think he would run for a lot of yards in this offense. Like I mentioned with the holes available to you with Jalen Hurts, with the offensive line. So I like Montgomery for a fifth more than something like Christian McCaffrey for two twos or a second and a third. Yeah. So the, I like Montgomery as a player and I like Montgomery as a fifth, certainly better than the McCaffrey deal. Montgomery is not going to bring you the turn, the five yard gains and the 10 yard yeah. gains to turn the eight yard gains and the 20 yard gains though. That's the main thing, which is as, and I'll be curious to see there's two directions you can go with adding them back to this rotation. One is for pass protection. The other is for let's get a real home run hitter, right? Let, let's get a Raheem Moster, right? Which like not to say Raheem's available, but like let's get a, a you know track star where if we can get this guy the ball on a line, he's gone because we we have, we have that ability here in this running game. You're not gonna find a guy who can do both because the pass protection guy's gonna be big yeah. and the run guy's gonna be small, <laughs> and then you and it's very like you know if that guy were available, he'd be Nick Chubb and you'd send the farm for so him, but good. he's not gonna be yeah. available. Yeah, the. Uh, there, there's a, it's a very, very good 2023 free agent running back class. Miles Sanders is one of those free agents. Uh, other guys are like, you know, like, like Rashad Penny's not going to get traded and whatever, but you can get, uh, Montgomery, uh, obviously Melvin Gordon's a free agent coming up. Damian Harris in New England is a free agent. He's a little banged up right now and he might come, he's, he's going to be healthy. I he's like going to come back. Harris. I like Penny. Um, but we'll see if Ramondre Stevenson might take control of that, that room. And if he does, I think Harris, similar player to Montgomery in terms of the explosiveness, but he can come available. Uh, Kareem Hunt in uh, in Cleveland's also a 2023 free agent. He gives you a, a decent balance between the, the explosive runs and the pass protection. They really like having him, though. They're not going to trade him away for nothing. Um, so there's guys to call about. Melvin Gordon, I'd be very fine with. I would like if they brought in Melvin Gordon for a day three pick, who obviously is kind of upset right now in Denver. Um because he, he adds to your pass protection again, running game wise, you're probably going to still use Sanders more, but it just adds your Gordon pass or Montgomery. If, the, if the ask is the same Montgomery, me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. uh, just younger, a little bit more juice, you know, whatever. Um, can I made the cam Akers joke. I really hope they don't do the cam no, Akers no, thing. No, no, cam no. to me is not, not a great <laughs> feel for the guy, I but not, yeah, I mean, yeah, but he's a, he's an ex high recruit. Uh, feels like Howie. No. Um, so running back's a spot. One spot that I've looked at is tight end. Um, the Eagles get into their 12 personnel sets. Uh, occasionally, they use 13 personnel. Now, uh, they've used in increasing numbers over the last few weeks. Dallas Goddard is the man. Dallas is one of the best tight ends in the league. So fun to watch. Jack Stoll is tight end, too. And Jack's just like, you know, he's a fine it's blocker. Fine. Yeah, but it's not. He doesn't, he, he's not an excellent blocker. It's not like, you know, the way that, like, Mercedes Lewis affects the Green Bay running game. You know what I'm saying? Like Johnny Munt in Minnesota is their second tight end. He can like move dudes. It's not that. Uh, and then he is very little in terms of the passing game. He had his, his little 20 yard catch and run. Very nice against the Cowboys. That's very sweet. But that's misdirection <laughs> stuff, right? And then Grant Calcaterra, who is like a, you know, like a split out, a split out kind of slot tight end at Oklahoma and at SMU is their third tight end. And they kind of just throw him in there because he's a third tight end. You know, they want Tyree Jackson to be healthy, whatever. But their tight end depth is insanely weak. If Goddard goes down, they're in a huge trouble at that position. But also, if Goddard stays up, you'd like for your 12 personnel stuff to be better. You'd like to get into more play action passing. And like your running game is so good out of 12. You'd like to have two legit receiving threats at tight end. Um, Jeremy Fowler at ESPN put a couple tight end names out there. One is Mike Kosicki with the Dolphins. Doesn't really work for what the Eagles no. need. They need him to be a better blocker. Um, but he brought up Austin Hooper with the Titans, 
which Hooper is he's 27. He's super cheap. Hooper is like, you know, stole juiced up. Like it wouldn't like be crazy, but it would be an improvement. You would feel much better about the depth. That'd be fine. The name that he brought up that interests me the most is Albert Okuwebenam mm. from the Broncos. The Broncos have a, a, a glut of tight ends, and they have Okuwebenam as a, uh, a healthy scratch in this past game against the Chargers because their rookie Greg Dulcich is now healthy. So they play their guys, and Okuwebenam is a you're on a four four nine forty yard dash at two hundred and sixty pounds. Like the 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 guy can get upfield, and he's a functional blocker. He's not, I don't think he's better than Stoll. But he's about in that that territory, and the add in terms of your, your ability to stretch the field and create explosives is so much better. Uh, and so, if the Eagles are going to like do just like random day three flyer, and the Broncos are like, yeah, we're sa- we're selling Albert O for cheap, he's just a healthy scratch for us. To me, that's an immediate add because it's going to give you just a little bit more security at tight end where you're really frail behind Goddard, and I think it's going to make your twelve personnel stuff a lot better. So I'd like I, move a running back, I'd like move a tight end, I'd like as well. I like that. Yeah, Goddard really is, man. If Goddard went down for an extended period of time, that would really change yeah. uh, a lot terrifying. of things. It's terrifying. Yeah, they don't have it's, a lot there. Like, they'd be playing Zach Paschal for 50 snaps yeah. and have him blocking on 45 yeah. of them because that's what you'd have to do. Well, that might be fun to watch at least, but for a little little moment. Oh, for a game. For, a game, <laughs> for, the, uh, for the novelty of it. Uh, Brian Burns is the other guy where we've got, we got a lot of questions about. I just feel like the whole fire sale aspect of the Panthers is a little overblown. I mean, Brian Burns is a young player in his prime at a premium position who has already played really well for you. Like if I'm the Panthers, there's no, if he's 31, yeah, then I'm thinking about it. But like Brian Burns can be one of your core players when your team eventually gets good. So I would not be getting rid of him. And so to get Brian Burns, that one, you're absolutely giving up a first round pick for. And not only that, then you have to pay Brian Burns, which with, by the way, the top of the edge market, I mean, Max Crosby got 23 and a half million per year. Yeah. Like Brian Burns on the open market, that would not be crazy. Harold Landry got 17 and a half million per year. That would be like the floor for Brian Burns. I, oh, I think, floor, yeah, he's floor, getting floor. over 20 million if he's, uh, you know, or he should be getting over yeah. 20 million. So then you would be paying Burns 20 million. You got Reddick at 15 million. You got Sweat at 13 million. It's just sort of a resource allocation. You can only put two edges on the And you're giving up a a high pick, at least one high pick for him. So, uh, and again, I don't know why the pin, like a lot of this, they're going to be teams saying, oh, you know, we're not giving player X up except for this. With Burns, it should actually be true. They should not be giving him up unless they just get some kind of crazy uh, deal. Yes, right. the uh, Burns is too rich for the Eagles. Sadly, uh, it would be so sexy. So I good. love him. Yeah, the players. Yeah, the players to look at are more so of kind of like the mid tier veterans and see if if uh, Carolina will move off of them. Uh, Shaq Thompson, a linebacker, be an improvement on Kaiser White. Be really, really good in this defense. And then Xavier Woods, strong safety, uh, which he would probably play over. Epps, which I don't think Epps has been bad enough that you want to get an improvement on him, but Xavier Woods is an improvement on Epps. And if you don't feel like you're going to extend Epps, or if you feel like you're going to certainly extend only one of the two between Johnson and uh, and and Epps, Xavier Woods is totally crystal clear, fine starting NFL safety, and would give you an improvement on what you on what you have in Epps. So those are the two names on defense that I'm kind of like. Uh, maybe I like I Woods is a good one just for like sort of insurance versatility purposes. I mean, if you lose a safety, you can play over the slot. Yeah, if you lose a safety right now, you suck. So now, all right, let's say Maddox goes down 
well, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson can play slot and you would have Woods to play safety. If Epps goes, you know, you could play three mm -hmm. safety looks. Like, I, I like that one. I haven't looked at his contract, but if he's someone who you feel like, all right, good locker room guy, isn't going to uh, complain about if there's some type of rotation, you know, doesn't necessarily have to play uh, over yeah. Epps and you just kind of figure three it out. Three years, that's a good one. 15 million. He's in the first year of that. And so if they eat his bonus... Then he's making just over four million next year and just over four million in twenty twenty four. It's not a it's, they like the it's player. Absolutely fine for starting yeah. safety. All right. Next question. Baby Joda. Do a Saints win loss for the rest of the year. All right. Are you ready? Let me get my oh, pen out. I'll I'll read it out to you. What are the Saints right now? The Saints are two and four. Two and four. All right. They are at Arizona tonight. What do you got? Win. Win. Okay, I've got I, I've got a loss. I've got the Cardinals, but okay, so I'll do it too. All right, win loss, uh, home against the Raiders. Win. Jeez, you like the Saints team? I got a loss there. I uh, don't <laughs> like the Cardinals and the Raiders. I'll tell you that. Home against the Ravens. <laughs> loss. Loss. I got a loss there. Uh, at the Steelers. I'm giving them win. a win. Oh, you're giving them a win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, home against the Rams. Loss. Me too. Uh, at San Francisco. Loss. Me too. At Tampa. Yeesh. Oh, win. Really? Okay. They're good against Tampa. What do you want That's from me? That's true. Uh, home against the Falcons. Loss. I'm going to give them a win there. At Cleveland. Uh, Deshaun Watson will be back for that game. Loss. Loss. At the Eagles. Eagles will be incentivized to whoop them. Loss. Loss. <laughs> right, that's the game where they bring their starters back. Right. And home against Carolina. Win. All right, so let me see. You've got one, two, three, four, five more wins on their schedule. So that makes them seven and ten. Seven and ten. Me. I've got them with one, two, three wins on their schedule. Five and eleven. So... Not things are not going great. Five and twelve, seventeen and game 12. season, oh, please. God, get out of here! Terrible. Horrible. All right, that was, uh, that was good. So that makes what? They're, they're, let's say let's say they're six and eleven. Then like split the difference. So that means they're picking fringe top ten. Right now, it would be what six. And six by they're picking fringe top ten, Eagles. I mean we are picking Ooh, fringe top that's ten. That's gonna be exciting. That's gonna be exciting for this podcast just to have that pick in the mix for the off season. All right, what else do we got here? Question number eight. Evan asks. Curious what you guys think a realistic Jalen Hurts extension looks like and also how that would affect the viability of the team going forward. He's been playing great, but I'm not so sure he's at that tier one contract level where you can build the whole thing around him. Well, so yeah, go ahead. I agree with the general sentiment that I'm not sure he's at that level. And accordingly, I'm not, and I'm not sure if you can build the entire team around him, so on and so forth. Is there a second tier of quarterback contracts into which he can be placed? No. I'm not sure. Because if you come to him with the Ryan Tannehill deal or the Kirk Cousins oh. deal, they're going to say no so yeah. fast can make your head spin. Right? And so then you have to come with the Kyler deal. Because that's 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 the most recent deal in tier one. And not the most recent, but kind of the most analogous, which is uh, average of $46 million a year, $160 million guaranteed, second most total guaranteed, uh, and the third highest average per year. That's, that's where you, you got to go. You, you can't get him below Kyler if he plays this way the rest of the season, if Kyler plays the way Kyler's played the rest of the season. 
So that's what you're looking at, right? That second tier, like, again, like I said, I brought up Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill. Kirk is $35 million per year over three years with guarantees. Uh, Tannehill is $30 million per year with only $60 million guaranteed. So he's basically a two-year deal at $30 million per year. You hang you up the phone. You hang up the phone if you're Hertz's agent, yeah. and that's like, it's just that's, not how that's, it works. That's, that's Cousins, Goff, Wentz numbers. That's yeah. like on my second team, on my third team, got traded away, lost the job numbers. It's not... You just can't get, like, maybe get them on Cars deal. Like, with Cars deal, no guarantees. Right. Cars deal was totally non-guaranteed money because the Raiders didn't want to commit to him. So it's all funny money. He's a $40 million per year, but he's only got 25 total guaranteed on his deal. Yeah. You can't, you're not going to get Hurts at 25 total yeah. guaranteed on his deal. So you can't get him at the car deal. So you're, lo- you're looking at Allen Mahomes, Watson, Murray, Wilson, Rogers. Those are the top six contracts above Derek Carr in terms of average per year. Yeah. So you can't, you can't, there's no realistic contract that isn't based off of the Kyler Murray deal. And I do not know if I want to pay him $46 million if I'm running a team. It's very scary stuff. It's going to be tricky for sure. Yeah, the, the hometown discount deal is $40 million per year. That is if Jalen Hurts is just feeling, you know, very uh, charitable. That that would be $40 million. The realistic one is, as you mentioned, $46.1 million per year for Kyler Murray. Listen, it's just the going rate. If he if he's a top 10 quarterback, uh, he's young, he's done everything from an intangible point that you've asked for, and this is all predicated. Now, listen, if they get to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl, then you're obviously probably just saying, yep, all right. We just won the Super Bowl. We're doing that deal. We don't need to think about it anymore. If they have a great regular season and they lose in the first or second round of the playoffs, now it's getting tricky. And the reason you lose is because the offense didn't play very well. Now it's getting very tricky. So uh, if you're hurt, you're not having a conversation really for under the... Kyler Murray deal. If you're the Eagles to the, what Evan said in the question, you're saying, shoot, do we want to make that commitment right now? Because the the strength of the team right now is not that Hertz hasn't played well, but it is the roster. The, the strength of the team is the entire roster. It's not just Jalen Hurts. So it, it, a lot of this, I think is going to be results oriented and how far this team goes this season. All right. Two more. Nine big seals. It goes a little off topic here. Need a good summer dad hat. I mean, it's not summer, big seals. I mean, but we, we can still, I, I like it. You're thinking ahead. Yeah. Uh, I'm 37 and clueless what I wear to the beach. Visor, corny. Panama hat, a la Saban. Don't have the swag for that. Bucket hat to Philly's Father's Day giveaway, which is true. Uh, need some help here. Now, big seals, I don't know what your uh, hair situation is here. So I think we can give you, and Ben, ben is younger. Obviously, he's not in his late 30s like you and I are. So, but he can tell us what the y- young folks are wearing. I'm looking up what a Panama hat is. Good looking hat. You haven't seen that? It's like the same as the straw one, right? Sort of. No, once I saw it, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, now, I just usually go with the dad hats. I will wear sort of, you know, I'll, I'll throw in a flat brim uh, here and there. But at the beach, I like the dad hats. Now, here's the issue. If you are bald like I am, you're going to get a little tat, tat, tan line. I can't speak. You're going to get a tan line with the dad hat. And if you're wearing that hat backwards, which, you know, you're, you're at the beach, you're chilling, you know, you're in relaxed casual mode, then you could get that tan line in the front, which I had for a period this summer. I just had this semicircle on the front of my head, and then I had to wear my <laughs> tough wear my hats forward after that. So that's tricky. If you have hair, then yeah, I would say just go with the dad hat. Now, the beach is tricky, very much like training camp is tricky, because if you're like me, I hate getting the, ne- the back of the neck heat. I mean, that's what I hate about like being out there in the sun in August. So your bucket hat 
question intrigued me. You say two Phillies Father's Day giveaway. I've been thinking about a bucket hat for years. I'll give a shout out to Chris McPherson of PhiladelphiaEagles.com. He rocks yes. He rocks a great bucket Big hat. Big bucket hat great, guy. He looks great in it, in the bucket hat out there at training camp. So I've had uh, you know a few years where I thought, you know what? I got to give this a shot, but I'm with you. I don't know where to get like the cool bucket hat that's not just like, you know, um, Phillies, MAB paints, or whatever. And uh, the last thing I'll say here is to, for the next situation, uh, you know, legendary football writer Paul Domowich used to be out there and he would wrap a nice cold wet towel around the neck. So I know you asked ah, about the beach. It's an OG move. It's an OG move. It's one that I need to incorporate soon, but you could go regular baseball hat and then go towel uh, around the neck. I'm sure it's not going to last a long time, but I don't know how long you're going to be out there. Right? Hopefully that helped. Ben, what is your, what is your advice to big seals? I own like 30 baseball caps. Yeah, me too. They're all And then I just <laughs> I just wear one and that's all the thoughts I've ever had okay. about hats. Uh yeah, I got a big head. So <laughs> I most hats look dumb Do on you? me. So I just grab a baseball cap. I thought, yeah, I got I got a big oh, melon, okay. unfortunately. Yeah, big forehead. Uh so yeah, we we I throw a baseball cap on. It goes over my eyes if the sun is that direction. It goes over my neck if the sun is that direction. And these are all the thoughts I've given to hats over my entire life. Okay. That's a good one. See, the, the other thing with the with the dad hat, like I, I don't love the look of like the dad hat and the sunglasses. You really feel like a legit kind of dad there when the hat is forward. When you turn the hat backwards and go sun, then you feel like, all right, I'm not, at least I, I feel some youth, uh, you know, permeating throughout my body. So that's a nice one for the summertime. Great. I'll listen, I'll do a hat talk segment every week. That's the most fun I've had uh, in months here. That was outstanding. All right. Question number 10. Speaking of which. Daniel asks, Sheil, my question is about your experience at The Ringer. As a huge fan of this company and its talent, how would you describe your experience thus far? Ben, you've been here longer than me. How would you describe your experience at The Ringer? Know that The Ringer uh, social media team saw this uh, question and had a funny uh, response to it. And we don't know what higher ups are listening. We don't know if you're a company man yes. or you just a, uh, let uh, it rip. I love it. Here. No, <laughs> I love it. The Ringer is awesome. I very, very, very much love being here. Uh, when I interviewed here, I interviewed with Mallory Rubin, and Mallory told me that The Ringer is a place for nerds. The Ringer is a place where, where nerds come to read and nerds come to write. And if you're just super nerdy about a thing, like you just love a thing to the point of like social embarrassment, then this is the spot for you. And it doesn't matter what that is. Because we got football, we got baseball, we got pop culture, we got celebrities, we got music, we got television, we got film, we got whatever. And that has always wormed its way into my head and resonated with me. But like I... When I pitch stories, I don't go like, you know, what's going to get clicks. I don't, you know, when I talk about like podcasts and like, like about to go record my video series where I was just like, Hey, like, can I just talk about something that is cool on film? And they're like, yeah. And then they, 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 they work to give you the resources and to help you out with that. And that's incredible. So I, I get to nerd out while I'm here and that, that, and then I'm also surrounded by nerds who like think that's cool and think that's fun and like want to support me and like help me do that. That's that's special. I don't know if there's another place that lets me do what that. A, so what an earnest always, answer. Awesome. I mean, if the higher ups are listening, you probably just got a lifetime. Kai, it was honest. I'm, I'm a big so horn. Here's a who guy. Was, I mean, what I say, I say what I mean. Yeah. Talk <laughs> it was uh, sincere. No, I, I've enjoyed it a lot. I wanted to do more talking, less writing, and I've been doing more talking and less writing. I talk to Benny Souls more than I do uh, my own family. At this at this point, so we'll have to have like a couple blowups. I feel like on one of these podcasts, to get, you know, the emotion that you have with your family when you have those uh, those big arguments because everyone's in the same house. We gotta have some of those. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you think that? How do you think our Monday night show has been going? Uh, extra point taken on the Ringer NFL feed for those who have not listened. It's good. I thought by now I'd be good at figuring out what your takes are, and I'm worse. I'm like okay. I, I can't anticipate. And that's what's fun for me is that I feel like I, I do 
get to earnestly react because we make sure we don't talk. Like you and I, we would do the Eagles pod yeah. on Sunday, but we do not talk about anything NFL all of Sunday and into Monday, which like, I'm like talking to like Steven, I'm talking to Nora, I'm going to be on their show. And I'm like talking with my editors and like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I never talk to you. All I know is like, you'll text me and you'll be like, I'm doing like, you know, the general teams. teams. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, all right. And then I'll try to figure it out. I'm always wrong. And that's, what's fun for me is there's a, a uh, authenticity to that, that I think is cool because there's like a figuring stuff out in real time and like trying to convince one another of things that to me is a lot of fun. I agree. I li- I feel like for podcasts, you want a general idea of what to talk about, but you don't want to overplan it. So that's been fun. Now I was thinking we, we agree. We've agreed on a lot of things. I think as the season goes on, we'll probably have some more disagreements in real time, which will be good uh, also. So uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it doing the, the Monday night show with Ben, this pod. I've really enjoyed doing the, the Philly stuff. I mean, this season that that's been fun. Just kind of being it's like, a good season yeah, for I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to go in full fan mode and do these Phillies podcast. That's been a lot of fun. I do the Thursday show. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. And so I've enjoyed most places I've worked at, you know, certainly since we launched birds 24 seven for Philly mag to ESPN to the athletic to here at the ringer, uh, all have been really fun jobs. And, uh, it's been good so far to answer your question, Daniel. And that's not just me being a company man, maybe in a year, you know, I'd be ripping some stuff on here. But so far, so good. All right. Keep the reviews coming. We appreciate all of those. I read all of those. Every review that you send, I'm on there reading about it. Thanks to everyone who's been tuning into the other stuff, the Phillies postgame pods. We had uh, we had uh, Raheem and Chris doing the Sixers pod this week. I got to get in uh, on some of those those Sixers pods once I get once Phillies is over, maybe NFL slows down a little bit and we're, you know, 10 15 games in, I'm definitely going to need to jump on uh, some of those cliff reminding me get your voicemails in 215-315-7982. We'll definitely get to a couple of those next week. Next week, we'll just get to more of these mailbag questions. We'll get to the voicemails and then we will be talking about Eagles Steelers. All right. Thank you to Benny Souls. And we will talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly special.